It's time for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ The Fan, featuring Colin McDonald and Chris Foley. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort, your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake, Maury's Market, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, Ernie's on Gull, The Tea Hive, Halverson Law Office, and the Legacy Courses at Creggins. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. And now here's Chris Foley and Colin McDonald for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, The Fan, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, and now available at Podcast One. Uh, British Open in the books. The Claret Jug has been raised. The champion golfer of the year is Francesco Molinari from Italy. He was the steadiest, Chris. He uh, he deserved to win. You know, he um, he just he never made any mistakes and just plotted his way around the golf course. And uh, boy, it was you know it was a little anticlimactic at the end, which was good for him, I guess. Not, yeah. But uh, what a championship! He still had to make birdie on the 72nd to win it. So yeah. that was <laughs> – Justin Rose had had just an extraordinary morning. And oh, came boy. From, he was uh, needed to birdie the 36th hole to make the cut on Friday and then comes all the way back. And I don't know what he shot, 9 or 10 under over the final over the final two days. Yeah, 64-69. Yeah, so. pretty good golf. Yeah, a very good golf. It was a great tournament, one of my favorites here in recent memory. The the great duel that uh, that uh, Mickelson and Stenson had a couple of years ago at the British, but this had probably eight or nine guys on the leaderboard with six holes to go that could have won. It was so tight that even the guys who were two shots out at four under, they weren't even on the leaderboard. They had like eight guys at six or five. Yeah, <laughs> S- Saturday and Sunday were... Two of the best days ever, I think, in major championship golf. It was it, the leaderboard was incredible, and uh, um, not only was there there's, were there so many guys on the leaderboard, but so many name players, you know, favorite players. You know, when, when you think about Roy McIlroy and Tiger Woods and Matt Kuchar and Jordan Spieth and um, Xander Shoffley, and I mean, it's just a kind of a who's who of. Of golf and uh, just some unbelievable play and um, boy, I, you know, watching the early morning coverage, I didn't get to watch a lot of the uh, the leaders play, but uh, boy, the the greens were perfect. Guys were just pouring in putts from everywhere. Yeah, and, uh, it was exciting. Not a lot of breakers there. A lot of straight putts or relative, you know, hardly any break right at the yeah. end. But and then it wasn't as slippery as it usually is because the right. conditions had been a little damp, so the greens were a little more forgiving. But uh, the pot bunkers weren't. If you went in there, no, no, <laughs> that's the hard thing about uh, Carnegie. You know, if you if you drive it in a bunker off the tee, uh, I would say you know eighty percent of the time you're not advancing it forward. Yeah, you're uh, you're hitting out backwards, or you're you're having to wedge it out, or but you're if you drive it in the bunker, you're you're not getting to the green generally. So that, that's the that's the hardest part of that golf course. Molinari really followed. Uh, Yours and uh, Hank Haney's advice on uh, the three putts, almost non-existent, the uh, OBs, non-existent, and uh, the double bogeys, non-existent. In fact, he didn't bogey any of the last 37 holes he played. 
to play around that golf course with no bogeys for two full days is pretty amazing. That is uh, that is very strong. And, uh, yeah, he, I don't think he had a penalty shot the whole week and uh, one three-putt in 36 holes, or, I mean, 72 holes. And uh, under those conditions is pretty amazing. He deserved a win for sure. And, you know, he's – he. Eight weeks ago, he was like, uh, you know, 54th in the world. Now he's number six in the world with uh, two wins in the last four tournaments and a, and a second place finish. So, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's on fire. And uh, actually, uh, John Bayman and myself are in a, in a golf pool and we, everybody takes five players and then you just tally up the winning money. So there's no real tiebreaker unless there's a tie and then. And you just split it, but uh, yeah, we—I I happened to pick Molinari, nice, and he walking out the door when I saw him last week. Uh, yeah, well, well, we can't win it now with your pick. <laughs> I said, What'd you pick Molinari for? I thought he's been hot. Yeah, and uh, uh, Golf Channel, one of the guys on the golf, Nablo liked him. Uh, he was one of uh, Nablo's picks, and and nobody else out of the seventeen groups have picked him. So, so we won. Well, in, his la- in Molinari's last three events, he's forty-eight under. Yeah. That's pretty strong. Steady Eddie. <laughs> Steady Eddie when you're making birdies, too. That's, yeah. uh, that's kind of interesting. And a certain uh, gentleman we'll talk about a little more at the end of the show because uh, if anybody gets his golf game analyzed, it's Tiger Woods. But he moved the TV needle again like he does because he was in the lead on Sunday. Yeah, I, um, Boy, i got to be honest. I never thought we'd see Tiger at the top of the leaderboard on a, on a Sunday in a major championship again. But uh, it was awfully exciting to see him up there and uh, – I uh, wish he would have stayed a little longer to yeah. make it more exciting, but uh, great event. There was a great line uh, uh, when Tiger made the, he made a couple of bad swings on the back, and uh, Johnny Miller had a great line, and uh, he's, maybe he's used it before, but he said, golf seduces you into trying things you have no business trying. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. And when you're Tiger Woods, you know, then you, you maybe try some things that the normal human being doesn't try. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. That thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2000. And 19 Buicks. Uh, Chris, special guest, uh, and we uh, you handled the introduction. We had him on with us a few years ago, but it's been a while. Yeah, I want to uh, welcome to the show one of my good friends, Tom Rolfe from San Antonio, Texas. Tom is the founder of the U.S. Junior National Team. I always joke it's Tom's a Canadian, and he coached the Mexican national team and then founded the uh, the U.S. Junior Team. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to have you back on the show, Tom. Thanks, guys. Uh, good to be with you. My uh, some of my buddies down here they they say I'm the NAFTA nightmare. Canadian <laughs> living in Texas, coaching in Mexico. You're right. I did that for ten years, and it was uh, a really cool experience. But uh, happy to be doing what we're doing here uh, in the USA now for sure. Tom, give give us some background. Uh, you know, I, I run I run one of our our programs here in Brainerd. Uh, but for those who don't know about the U.S. Junior Team, t- tell us what, what the program is and, and why you started it and that, those type of things. Sure. Um, you know, probably the, the simplest explanation, guys, is it's, it's long-term player development. But when I was coaching for Mexico, I was always surprised that there wasn't a national training program in, in the United States. So 
effectively what, what I tried to do with the help of a few guys was, um, was come up with a national team program that we could distribute right at the club level. So typically all these countries, be it Canada, Sweden, Mexico, you know, every country's got one. But they identify the best 8 to 10 males and females, and, and those players get all the support, all the coaching, uh, all the sports science stuff. And my concept was, well, why couldn't we deliver that at the club level around the United States? So that, that's really the idea behind it, whether it be uh, from a coaching technique standpoint to a fitness and conditioning standpoint. We wanted to basically provide coaches and clubs with a program in a box, if you will, that um, anybody could follow or use as a as sort of a jumping off point to develop junior golfers regardless of their age or skill level yeah and it's a great program you know one of one of the the downsides right now in the in the world of golf i, I you know everybody talks about the game not growing i i kind of i I have a different opinion that it is growing. It's just at a slower pace than it once was. But, you know, one of the reasons that it, it is a little stagnant is so many clubs don't have much of a junior program or don't put an emphasis on that. So they're not developing the next generation of players. And and our, our program helps with that, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. And I think, Chris, one of, the, one of the big challenges is when we did go through a decline with the economy a few years ago and, and a lot of clubs, had to look at how they could cut costs. I think a lot of golf professionals got taxed with optional duties and and just simply in an effort to keep some clubs alive and they've maybe got pulled away from teaching and coaching. But but I agree with you. It's it's on the uptick for sure. And and I think a program like ours offers facilities not only an opportunity to develop junior golfers, but it also provides a nice revenue stream for clubs and I think that's an important piece. Obviously, clubs are businesses, and they need to do well, and the teaching professionals need to do well, and and our model allows guys to do that and clubs to do that. And, you know, to your point with the game not growing, Chris, I think, you know, I think it really burns me is when I hear people say, oh, the game takes too long or we don't have time. But this generation of kids now has three, six, seven hours a day, um, so I don't really believe it's a time issue. I think it's, to your point, uh, if clubs have a really good program in place that mom and dad can drop the kids off at the club and they know they're going to get sort of best-in-class coaching, I think that's a huge opportunity for us in the golf industry right now. It is for sure, and, you know, I see it every day. It, uh, the kids really bring mom and dad into the game, and I, I can think of multiple families at, at our club that are – now playing the game because the kids are excited about it and it's just it, it's such a great way to get away from being on your screen all the time or the the cell phone or whatever it is so i think yeah bringing parents back to the game too because they become parents you got a couple three kids running around and you think i don't, I don't have time for golf and then when your kid goes out there you think well good he's out here and then i'm gonna play too <laughs> yeah and that's you know what's unique with our game obviously as you guys well know is you know if if my kids are playing volleyball or football or basketball, jump in and, and be a part of that. Right, and yeah. And I think that's unique. And, um, and Colin, like you said, hey, if you got two or three kids out there participating, then that gives mom or dad a chance to, to maybe go play nine holes or have dinner at the club or have a drink while kids are doing their uh, coaching piece. So 
it's a good fit, I think, all the way around and, and a good opportunity for the industry. Absolutely. Tom, you get some exciting things happening. Uh, the headquarters are in San Antonio, and you're, you're just breaking ground on a new facility and training facility. Uh, tell us all about yeah. that. Yeah, so uh, a few months ago, uh, um, I had the opportunity to, to sell a part of the business, which I chose to do, and, and my partners bought also a couple of golf courses. I know you've been at, uh, at River Crossing, which is a nice spot just north of San Antonio, and we've decided just to continue to grow our presence that, that we need a national headquarters. So we're building, uh, just now we've got sort of all our final approvals, so we should break ground here in a couple of weeks. But we're going to build a, a learning center, if you will, that's approximately 5,000 square feet that'll have four indoor to outdoor hitting bays. And we've, we will have partnered with Callaway Golf to open a performance center there where people, not just juniors, but anyone in the area uh, will be able to come and go through a pretty detailed fitting. Uh, so the, the fitting bays or, or the hitting bays are really geared for juniors from a coaching perspective. We'll have a small retail operation there. We'll have some office space there for myself and some other coaches. Uh, and then junior golfers from all over the country will be able to come to this headquarters and, and do some performance coaching with their coaches. So, for example, if you guys are coming down again, Chris, we'll, irregardless of weather, have, have a great spot to practice and train and take use of sort of all the great technology that's available to us as coaches now all under one roof. Um, San Antonio is an easy spot to get to from all over the country, so we're hopeful that that'll help continue to grow our brand and legitimize it and um, really have a home base, like I say, for junior golfers and coaches around the country. That's great. Tom, how how many locations are there around the country now? You know, we're hovering right around 45 to 50 now, um, which when I started this, you know, I thought, wow, if we could ever get to 50, that would be great. And then you realize, you know, that's that's not even two in, in each state. So there's a lot of growth opportunities for us. Um, we've been maybe to a fault. Some would argue maybe a little too selective in where we open, but um, we want to make sure we're partnering with the right the right coaches and the right facilities. But there's a lot of opportunities out there, and, and we'll continue to grow it. Yeah, one one of the things that I enjoy about the program is the quality of the coaches that are, are involved. And when we have the opportunity to get together, the, all the coaches, there's always a lot of great information shared. And you can just tell the passion that they, they have for the game. The, yeah, yeah we're, we've been lucky to have uh, really good people like yourself involved in it. The, uh, the we just opened a second location in in Minnesota. We have some Twin City listeners, I know, and that's at uh, Pioneer Creek um, in the western suburbs. Katie Heineman is a coach there. Yeah, yeah, and she's done a fantastic job so far. They've, um, by all accounts, had really good response and a good turnout. I think she's got um, in the neighborhood of thirty kids in the program. So to have have her involved, uh, and, and like you said, being that. Twin Cities area is exciting for us, and I think there's opportunities uh, for some matches like you and I have discussed, Chris, with uh, other clubs in that area. So we're looking to continue that success there and keep growing it. Tom, you're, you're running some national tournaments as well for the programs. Uh, you just, I think you just completed one in, in Colorado. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've run a tournament at, at a club called Valley Neal uh, Golf Club just outside of Denver and um, 
you know, a really, really neat facility, a neat opportunity for the kids. And while our primary focus is not on tournament golf, again, ours is on player development, we do get a lot of response uh, and requests from our kids and parents that want to play some events. So we'll continue to offer, you know, in the neighborhood of three, four, five events a year uh, for our kids to play in a style match against the Scottish team. Uh, we've played uh, in an event that Aaron Baddeley's foundation puts on that we sent kids to China. So there is some playing opportunities for sure. But So while we have played a number of international events and domestic events as well, our primary focus player development for the kids will continue to offer three to six tournaments a year to play. Um, we like to help them with that. Well, Tom, I re- really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, telling us all about the program. It's 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 certainly one of the the great uh, things going on in the in the game of golf now, as far as player development. And uh, appreciate all you do for the game. Oh, thanks. Uh, good to be with you guys. You know, we're um, we're a young company, only five or six years old. We we obviously have to continue to improve and involve and evolve. But um, we're excited with what we've done and, and opportunities that continue to present themselves so i appreciate you guys uh, having us on the show absolutely thanks a million tom appreciate it that's tom rolf u.s national junior golf team and uh chris for we can contact you for more information about the u.s junior golf as well here locally absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. we're um, we're expanding our programs next year to to be at some other clubs here in the brainerd lakes area so some good things going on all right you're listening to lakes woods and irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. This next segment uh, is my father, and uh, I think all listeners have a, a love of golf, and a lot of it came from your dad's out there. So my dad is going to be 92 years old in uh, September, and uh, we talked a little golf the last time I saw him. was fortunate enough to get some of his uh, takes down on uh, down on tape, and he went to Scotland a couple of times, and we're going to talk about uh, his trips to Scotland briefly and just give you a little idea of maybe how and why I learned to uh, love the game. And uh, it's my dad, uh, Ron McDonald, talking about golf in Scotland. I learned in Scotland something I never forgot, and it's true. The starter there was a guy named McLeod at Royal Dornoch, which I had read about for years, and all the famous golfers would go there and practice before they open wherever the open was being played. If it, was at, it might be at St. Andrews or Carnousie or one of those, but they'd go there for their first week because it wouldn't be too crowded and just tourists. And uh, there's photographs of all of them who played their thing. Tom Watson said it was the best course in the world. Freddie Couple said, terrific golf course. But McLeod, who was a starter there for years, because we saw him two years in a row, he said, I, I said, we're new here, Mr. McLeod. Give us a tip on the golf course. I've been had to, boys. When you get for your second shot, no matter what you think, hit one more club. And the reason for that is all the trouble's in front. There's no trouble in back. So if you get to the back of the green, you're in no trouble. You're just, you're on the green. In front, there are bunkers and hills and hollows and, you know, weeds. So one club more. Well, you know, on most golf courses, one club more is the best advice you can get for your second shot. 
He said, gee, well, I can make that with a five. Uh, yeah, if you hit a sweet. But if you hit a four, even, you're gonna, certainly going to get there. So I always remember that. That improved my game a whole lot. I went back. The next year, Pete and, I, Pete and I went to Scotland to see the British Open. That was 1994, the year John Daly won it. Huge crowd, you have no idea. And here we are, first walking up at St. Andrews to get to the golf course. And we run into a couple that we knew in Olympia. <laughs> Amazing. And we swam, wandered around here, you know, watching a, a, an open is, there isn't a hell of a lot of fun out of here. You're so far away from the folks. And, and, uh, and St. Andrews was interesting because the closing holder is so tough. You know? Part three hole, a dog leg left with a building that came into play and you had to fade your ball so it wouldn't go in the building. And uh, it's really not much of a track because several of the greens, they use uh, two flags, two different holes. Uh, it's, and, I, and they have a rule in Scotland that since the golf course is owned by the public, it's the city, it's closed to golf on Sunday. And that's when parents picnic with their families go out on them with their kids, you know. And we played. Um, there's a golf course called the Princess, I think. I don't know what Princess is named after, but it goes up the coast. You can see the water all the way up the North Sea, and then back. And it's just a hell of a nice golf course. And there's an airfield right next to it. You can see British planes coming in. And uh, that's because they got a lot, a lot of room to, uh, to, to fly. And at, at uh, a golf course in northern Scotland, there's a golf course where there's a hole. The tee is high, and the fighter planes come in so, so close you can... We could look in the cockpit window and see a guy with a mustache flying the plane. I mean, that's pretty close. And there are jet, jets, of course, and they go, boom, where your head knock you down. <laughs> I can't think of the name of that course. It was a public course, of course. But Carnoustie was the best. We played a course in Inverness, which wasn't much, just a public course. Carnoustie was your favorite? Carnoustie, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I had ever played in my life. It went straight up the beach, and the sand dunes are 50 feet high. I mean, you think of sand dunes on a beach, but there, you had to climb stairs to get up to some of the tees. It's got one for you. How many times did you and Pete go over? Twice. Oh. 94 and 93. 93 was. I was going to go. I put, kept putting it off, you know, for, for years. And I said, I need three is it or, or I ain't going to make it. My dad was always sad he never got to Scotland. And he wanted to go with me. And I thought, well, that ain't going to go work. You know, what am I going to do with my father? Well, you know, what's he going to do all day while I'm playing golf? Well, he really, he really was too old for it, and I didn't press him on it. And at Carnoustie, which is quite a track, it's a flat track with a lot of water. Tough for hang little. 
especially the finishing holes. But I didn't realize, I, I knew it in St. Andrews and, and Carnoustie. The, pro, the, the, the golf course and the pro shop, they don't sell anything. Not golf sticks or golf shirts. They sell golf balls, of course, and tees. But all the shops around are privately owned shops that sell all this gear. Same at St. Andrews. I don't know if it's a city policy. It must be. But when we played Carnoustie, it was a busy place. Tough, tough track. I, I can see some of those closing all with water and bunkers and Get down in the bunker over your head, I suppose, huh? Well, if you get down in a pot bunker. Yeah, well, I never did. But I looked in them, they were like five feet down. And they're just enough width so you can take a golf swing. <laughs> Talk about hard to get a ball up that quick. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we watched uh, John Daly win it. An Italian was leading by one. And John Daly was off the green about, I don't know, 60, 70 yards. And he was disconsolate because the Italian had made a birdie and dropped John to second place. And Daly was nothing but not a tender guy. He was crying after he saw that shot. You know. And here's a guy who's the world's great playboy who dresses, doesn't dress like a golfer or act like one, God knows. Not the smartest guy who ever lived. So the rest of the guy, Watson and all the others, get a hold of him and say, for Christ's sake, come on, you can beat that. You know? <laughs> Hit it up on the green. Make the putt and you win. It's exactly what he did. He said from 60 yards out, he it up and rolls up right close to the cup. Bingo, the Italian's history. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my dad, Ron McDonald. A little conversation about golf with dad is a memory of 1993 and 94 in Scotland. Still obviously a real good, real fine memory, as a lot of us have about the game of golf. So uh, a little bit of a self-indulgence maybe, but uh, I thought that might be interesting. You've all got somebody in your life maybe who uh, uh, gave you a love of the game of golf, and that was uh, that was my guy right there, my dad, uh, Ron McDonald. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan, and streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. That thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2019 Buicks. And uh, get back to the British Open a little bit, and uh, Molinari winning there. Also want to thank quickly uh, Tom Rolfe from the U.S. National Junior Golf Team. Nice of Tom to join us. We appreciate that. I guess but maybe before the British Open, Chris, uh, we talked last week a little bit about uh, Brittany Linscombe, how she was going to do as she teed it up with the men, and uh, she uh, did quite well. She didn't make the cut, but she had a really good second day. Yeah, she played very well on the second day and uh, hold her last shot on 18 for for an eagle. So that was, that was a pretty cool. But she, good way uh, to finish, yeah. Yeah, very good way to finish. She she held her own in the tournament. It was nice to see. And um, you know, Troy Merritt, who played, uh, played his high school golf in Minnesota and played a Minnesota PGA Junior Tour uh, was the winner. That was kind of a good story. Nice to see that. And uh, he was 
you know, he's so grateful for where he is, and he, he just wants to go back to Hawaii next year. Now that he won, he gets to go to Hawaii right. with the Tournament of Champions, and uh, he's excited about that. And uh, I was hopeful uh, Hunter Mahan was leading after three rounds, which has been a long time. Hunter's game has been a long ways yeah. away. Yeah, he uh, his best event in, in quite some time. Hunter has he's really struggled with his game and really kind of started when he, you know, the, the rider – you mean the Ryder Cup and at Glen Eagles, so the the last one in Europe, and he he uh, he played very poorly there, and really hasn't played well since then. Yeah, it was nice to see him back. So hopefully, I mean, he was. They had some Ryder Cup things on the Golf Channel this weekend, and you know, Hunter was uh, and 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 Faraday show they were talking about it, and Hunter's there, and Hunter's there, and Hunter. I mean, he was one of the top players oh, yeah. in the country for. It looked like he was the right one of the rising stars, and. Uh, like golf can do, just uh, disappeared yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a while. Exactly. And uh, back to the British Open, what a tournament it was. Molinari wins. Woods is right there. There's uh, several uh, kind of questions, and uh, Woods always gets questioned no matter what he does. So uh, I know that I was listening, and he's got a driving uh, a driving iron with a graphite shaft, and then I think he's got, does he have two drivers, one with a steel shaft and one with a graphite shaft? Does that sound right? You know, I, I don't think so on I think that it's one. Three yeah. iron, three iron steel shaft. That, yeah, that would that would make more sense. Yeah, yeah. You don't see. He was one of the last guys to play steel in his in his driver, but uh, uh, quite. I'm I'm not sure if there's even a steel shaft made for a driver anymore today. <laughs> yeah, you know, even even the the heaviest graphite. Uh, you know, for a driver is 70, 80 grams, 80, 85 grams. And, uh, you know, gosh, the old steel driver shafts were in the 120, 130, 40 gram range. So um, the technology of the drivers has changed so much and just the whole the whole way a driver is built. I was listening a little bit to Hank Haney, who's a friend of yours, and uh, uh, he was talking about Tiger's round, and uh, he said, well, he, and, and it's, Things that our listeners have heard from you, uh, the the mistakes you need uh, to avoid to win a golf tournament, he committed pretty much all of them. Yeah, no, no out of bounds, no two two chips or three putts, and Tiger had three three putts, uh, one out of bounds, and uh, two two chips. Those two chips on, on you know the runoff areas, as we saw on those greens, are as firm and fast as it was. You, you you can miss a green by not much at all and end up with you know fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty yards away. And uh, that that was really the demise of Tiger on Sunday on eleven when he when he knocked it over the green and and didn't get it on the green from there and then ended up making double. So it looked like he'd gotten really lucky. He hit a patron and. Uh it ricocheted back toward the green, about 20 yards. It was going to go way left and uh, hit a uh, patron in the leg. And uh, that was his second hit patron of the weekend, which was interesting. Tiger doesn't do that very often. I don't know if you saw that picture, Chris, on on a Friday. He hit one maybe second hole into the, into the uh, tall grass, fescue, and uh, it was on the bank, so the ball was above his feet. And he's telling the crowd, move, move, because he's going to try to hook it to yeah. the green. Well, they moved back a little, but they stayed there, and sure enough, he didn't hook it, and it went right in and hit a guy, you know, I don't know, 25 oh. yards ahead of him. I can't imagine getting hit by a Tiger yeah. iron shot from that distance. Yeah, Tiger. Yeah. When Tiger says move, he, he, <laughs> he might know what he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> so get out of the way. Yeah. 
yeah, down the stretch it was uh, something else. But um, yeah, those uh, those are for the everyday golfer too. You're, obviously, I'm never going to shoot a 67 or a 69, but uh, if I could uh, get rid of a two chip and a and a couple three putts around, then you you feel pretty good walking off the green. Yeah, you know it, the the putting side of it. It's really the you know compared to the elite player, their professional games. It's the area that we can be the closest to in skill level. And it doesn't take great athletic ability to be a good putter. It doesn't take great strength. Uh, but if if you have if you're able to be good at distance control and have a you know a, a decent feel for reading greens. There's no reason we, you can't putt fairly close to a tour player, and um, you know. Bottom line: if if you if you have a lot of three putts, it's it's a distance control issue, and you, you've really got to work on that that distance control. And the better you can get at that, the not only the more putts you're going to make, but you're going to eliminate those three putts because anything outside of twelve to fifteen feet is really a lag putt. Um, you know, as percentage-wise, the best players in the world, PGA Tour players, um, they're, they make half their putts at 8 feet. And then as you go back, it drops quite a bit. At 10 feet, they make 33%. At 15 feet, it's 25%. And at 20 feet, it's 20, 20%. So at 20 feet, they make 1 in 5 putts. So that's the best players in the world. So y- anytime you're outside of... of say that 12 to 15 foot range you really the concern should be more the the speed of the putt and getting it close rather than the line of the putt and if you if you have the correct speed some of those are going to go in but you're you're going to eliminate those three putts and um you know if you can do that you you get at a higher handicap level you have to play well you have to have under 30 putts and as I look at players' games, you know, the, the average guy who shoots 90, he's got, he's got, you know, 38, 40, 42 putts. And you just, uh, it's such an easy way to eliminate some scoring. I was thinking, too, uh, when uh, we talked a little bit about it last week, but uh, the, the, the talking heads were talking about Rory and Spieth. They both played uh, very well, actually. I mean, uh, you're not everybody's going to win all the time and how hard they are to win. Now Molinari's got one. And uh, he's been playing fantastic, yeah. but uh, I just I just thought I was sitting at home thinking, just kind of analyzing what they said, how the greatest players win. Well, if you figure Nicholas has eighteen, and Tiger has fourteen, that's thirty-two. Player has seven from that era. Palmer had nine. Wa- Palmer had seven. Watson had seven. That's twenty-three more. There's a couple guys out there with five. Mickelson, I think Els has four. So now you're at sixty-five. Divided by four, that's uh, what fifteen, sixteen years of majors, right? Just are by those by those half dozen guys, yeah. So they're hard to win. They're really if hard. If you're to in win. that sixteen year window of yes. playing against those guys, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it's amazing. It you really to win a major is really really hard. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> win any win any tour event is really hard, but to win a major is a Pretty extraordinary feat in the world of golf. <laughs> You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mac. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort, your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake, Maury's Market, 
Ernie's on Gull, the Tea Hive, Halverson Law Office, and the Legacy Courses at Craigens. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. We now return to our regularly scheduled program at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. 